Welcome to With That Being Said, a podcast on life, love, and everything in between. I'm so glad you've decided to join the conversation. Hi, I'm Esther Boykin. And I'm Erica Turner. And with that being said, your therapist is anxious, but that's okay. (laughs) Oh, I think no one really believes that. Or maybe people do believe it. And we just, you know, as therapists, we kind of pretend like we're in this little protected bubble. But we do get anxious, don't we? Yes, we definitely do. Definitely an anxious lot, I would say. When I think that, you know, people kind of think extremes about therapists, like either we're secretly crazy or we have it all together perfectly. And most of the time, it's not one of those extremes. No, most of the time, it turns out that we are just regular people somewhere in the middle. Right. Not totally wacko and not, you know. Magical beings who don't get anxious or depressed or frustrated or stressed out or, you know, any of those other normal human experiences. Right. Right. Well, I'm excited for today's guest, Jody Amen, who will be joining us to talk a little bit about being anxious and how do we work with that and deal with that not just as therapists, but in general, um, as well as I'm sure lots of other interesting things. So let's get Jody on the line. Sounds good. So welcome, Jody. So excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to talk about, uh, Eric and I were just talking a little bit about, you know, therapists being anxious, but just sort of anxiety in general and lots of other stuff. Um, But before we dive into that, I always like to start by asking people, give me the 30 second bio, you know, sort of that quick, Mm. uh, (laughs) doesn't have to be 30 seconds. Uh, We always joke, we're going to have a contest one of these days, see who who kept it closest to 30 seconds. But tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, how you got here, all of those things. Well, I'm, um, I'm just the girl next door. You know, I grew up born and raised in Rochester, New York. And so I uh, loved helping people. And so right from high school, I went into social work, you know, got my degree and started helping people right away from the beginning. Um, And as I grew up, I struggled with anxiety. And, you know, therapists aren't, you know, separate from the rest of the population. We have problems just like everybody else, you know, (laughs) we're just regular people. (laughs) And so, yeah, I struggled a lot with it myself and on and on and on and off in my life. And so once I kind of you know, got a handle on it and really understood it in a different way, especially after talking to so many people and experiencing it myself and learning how to get over it myself, I started really seeing it in a different way than I had before and using those same tactics with my clients and uh, having some really amazing results. So, um, yeah, so that's how I got to where I am. And so I, I just kind of kept going and just sharing my message. You know, you know, you both probably know this, but when you're sitting in a room with someone for eight hours a day, one-on-one and, and repeating a lot of the same stuff or hearing a lot of the same stuff and realizing, you know, we learn so much better in groups and I would love to spread my message to more than eight people a day basically. And so that's why I started blogging and, you know, trying to share my message with a lot more people. Yeah. You actually answered one of the questions that I was going to (laughs) ask, which was (laughs) a lot of therapists are content to, I shouldn't say just do therapy, but they're content to have, you know, to really only do therapy. And I was curious about how you got started 
blogging and doing video posts and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's exactly why I just, um, I just wanted to spread my message to more people. I thought if this gave people such, you know, I witnessed over and over again, people transforming, you know, to not liking themselves, to liking themselves or trusting themselves or, um, or changing their lives or thinking about the world differently. And I wanted that for more people. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I just felt like I, I wanted to, and because they were just so happy about the information (laughs) and they were just so happy about it. And so I started to blog and then I got that response from people online. And then I started a video and I I just have the most wonderful community. They're so kind and appreciative and just say the nicest things on comments um, that I'm always surprised, you know, like like this, this really helped me. I'm like, really me? Like, I I'm like, really? I don't know. You know, and, and, um, but it's, so it's fun. It's just fun. It's just fun to reach more people and have fun with it and make connections all over the world. I I'm just, I'm enjoying that journey. Yeah. So that's, that's why. Well, that's great. And I did actually notice that your comment section section was one of the nicest comment sections I've ever seen. Oh, (laughs) I know. I don't get a lot of those trolls everyone talks about. I I mean, I've been doing it for like eight years and you know, really, if you, if I could count on one hand, the amount of negative comments, I, it's, um, very few. Oh, wow. That's really impressive. And maybe it's also sort of reflective of some of the energy that you're putting out there. I mean, there's something to be said for somebody who says, I'm doing all of these things mostly just because I want to help more people. And if, you know, if a blog means I can reach more people, I want to do it that way. If I can do it through, through video, but really that your motivation is so much about, I've learned some things, I have this expertise, and I I think I can help a lot of people. And how can I sort of package it in different ways so that lots more people can access it? And I think that's a really cool thing. Thank you. It's so nice. Thank you so much. I think I'm so practical. You know, people like, you know, we get the inspiration online all the time by thought leaders like let go and um, and be happy and it's your choice. And people don't know how to do that. They can't take what they're living through right now to, I'm, I could choose to be happy. It just makes them kind of feel bad. So, but I have these, like, it's just so practical and understanding and compassionate. So I think that's why I hit a lot of people. Right. Yeah. I mean, I noticed about your videos that, you know, you keep it very sort of specific to the topic and it's very straightforward and really accessible. And I was curious a little bit about your process and sort of putting those videos together as someone who also, you know, we also do videos and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. And there's usually a lot more going on behind the scenes um, than just, you know, whatever you see in sort of the four or five or six minute video. So I was just curious about sort of your process in, in, in getting that all together. Yeah. I mean, I do it all by myself. You know, I was talking to, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing several different podcasts and I was talking to someone on um, a different podcast and he has volunteers all over the world helping him. And I'm thinking, what? I do all this stuff myself. That's, but <laughs> I don't know. Like, how do I get some international volunteers? Yeah. I'm like, volunteers. That's awesome. So I kind of, um, I do have an assistant, um, who helps out, but 
you know, I think of a title that people would want to hear about, or I ask my audience, you, you know, I'm going to record some videos. What do you want to know about? And then, you know, I usually record about four or five at a time and I write down the topic or the, the title. I reverse engineer it actually, you know, I do the title, which is usually like the last thing. Um, and then I, I try to do it in a way that people could hear it because, you know, we need kind of steps or we need to have some kind of way to remember, like the adult learning theory. And I was never a teacher, so I had to learn this stuff. You know, I'm a counselor and I love my work and I love my work one-on-one with people or with families. It's, you know, it's, it's so wonderful and I, I won't give that up, but I had to learn how to be a teacher and how to put stuff like structured in a way that people could digest it uh, by like, you know, kind of giving like three tips and, you know, a a three minute thing so they could remember it or that it makes sense in sequence or tell stories um, to help it, you know, get remembered or related to. So I kind of, I kind of learned a little bit about learning theory and, realize that I don't want to just give people tips or strategies because once their problems solved, they're done. I want to really inspire people to, you know, live happier lives or be better or be that person that they want to be in the world. And so they'll, it just gives them a little bit more, you know, than just like use this skill and then you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) I like the, I mean, I, I appreciate that desire to sort of go a little bit deeper. I mean, I think there's a lot of value in skills, certainly, and being able to go, okay, I have these three tips and they kind of work for me. And I think especially in the context of anxiety in particular, mm-hmm. but that idea of you could go beyond just sort of these three steps that fix it in the moment to beginning to shift the way you either see your situation or see yourself. And I feel like just reading through a lot of your stuff and looking at your videos, that that seems to be a piece of what you try to do across the board. Oh, I'm so glad that's coming out. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, nice. Well, good. Well, tell me a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit more about that piece of it. Sure. Um, we can talk about step pieces, but talk, let's talk a little bit about the other piece, that sort of deeper, how do you help? Because I think this is a question people have all the time. We talk about things like self-love and self-confidence and feeling worthy, but how do you begin to help someone have this shift in mindset to move towards some of that? Well, I guess they don't really know. You know, we do teach a lot of skills and there's skills all over the place and people like trip over themselves trying to do these skills and then they fail at it because they're not, they don't work or whatever. And then they just feel like they're not worthy because they can't figure it out. But really the problem has so much power and we don't spend a lot of time breaking down the power of the problem. Like, so say anxiety or self-doubt or something like that, like this is constructed over a long period of time by our culture, by our family, by our experiences, and then by our own feelings and our own self. We construct this problem and it's got a lot of staying power in our life. And so we have to deconstruct that problem then the skills will work. I mean, we all have skills. We're all surviving. We all have amazing skills in the world. We don't need more skills. We need to break down the power of the problem in our life and understand why it has that power so we could not give it to it anymore, you know? I hope that makes sense. And then then we can build trust in ourselves. When the problem has so much power, we don't trust ourselves. We you know, when we when you try to use these skills and they don't work, we have no we just have no connection with our own selves and our own abilities. 
and then we dislike ourselves even more and causes it makes it worse and dislike and we just get stuck in this rut of kind of paralysis and immobility and depression and absolute anxiety. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really important point that you bring up. I was watching one of your videos about dealing with OCD and um, you were talking about how important it is to break down the guilt and the shame around the behaviors. Um, And I thought it'd be helpful if you kind of talked a little bit more about that because it seemed, I think that's a part that people don't really get, you know, why that's important necessarily. Absolutely. Because we have, you know, we respond to stuff for human. And so something happens, we have a loss, we're going to have feelings about that. And our feelings about that are, you know, kind of, I don't know what unit, but like one unit of feeling maybe. So that's our response, our human, our humanness. And then what happens is right away, we begin to judge that. So right, so say OCD, like if we're feeling stressed, we want some, we're trying to get some control over our situation or our environment. And so we feel urged to do something to get that control. But then what happens immediately, and if we just did that sort of, it would kind of float away. It wouldn't have much energy. It wouldn't become a problem at all. But what happens is when we have this feeling, like if we lose something and we're sad, lose a person or something like that then right away we begin to judge it. So right away we say, you know, I'm overreacting, you know, everyone is fine, but me, um, you know, why, why can't I get over this? Why am I taking it so personally? And this could be like three days or two days after a breakup. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, my mom, my mom lost one of her closest friends last week. It was so sad and devastating because it was a quick passing. And she, you know, I talked to her yesterday and she's like, I just, I just can't get over this. I'm like, mom, it was five days ago. You know, yeah. we expect ourselves yeah. to just get, she's, you know, to bounce back. Like that, that's crazy. This is, she was spent the whole day with her friend and then she, you know, had a massive stroke and passed in this beautiful woman, just such a, a awesome soul in the world. And so it was devastating. And so, and to see her family upset and everything, you know, it's just, it's horrible. Five days. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And so we judge it and then we get scared. So we put this judgment on, which is so much bigger. And then we put this fear comes on like, oh my gosh, am I going to feel like this forever? How am I going to do this? If I feel this bad, you know, why can't I get over it? What's wrong with me? And so this fear and the judgment part of it just explodes exponentially that feeling that we have and we're overwhelmed and we're depressed. And then we think, then we really think we're overreacting and we beat ourselves up even more. And so that expands the problem. And, you know, when you sit, when you talk to a lot of people with problems all day, you just see this so clearly over and over and over again. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's as you were talking and I'm glad you sort of mentioned the breakup because it made me think, you know, I do a lot of work, um, particularly with women, sometimes with men, (laughs) about feeling stuck in relationships Mm -hmm. or feeling stuck on the, you know, post relationship and sort of cognitively saying this was a relationship that should have ended. And I like what you said about there's the feeling and it's really the, that sense of stuckness starts to happen when we judge how long am I allowed to feel this way Mm -hmm. or that fear of like, what if I never get better? If I'm never happy again, rather than leaving some room. Mm Mm-hmm. Just allowing yourself to feel it, love yeah. yourself through that. And we don't really know how to do that because we're so afraid of feeling. 
you know, we feel like our feelings going to like, you know, take us under, but it's really the story about the feeling that makes us suffer so bad. So we'll stay in the story of the feeling. We'll think of who is it? Me? Is it them? Like, what did I do? What could I have done differently? And we'll just play these stories over and over in our head. We'll talk to the person in our head, tell them how they hurt us, you know? I mean, we just go into these stories and that's where our suffering is. We do all that to avoid feeling because we think feeling is bad. We think we're t- protecting ourselves, but really we're causing ourselves so much suffering by judging and being afraid and going into that. So I teach people how to allow themselves to feel without that story. And then they pass through it. It's just, it's just a totally different experience. Yeah. Right. Well, and that actually is something when I'm working with clients, uh, especially around anxiety, but really around any feeling, one of the th- one of the metaphors that we use is it's kind of like your feelings are like the car alarm that is going off and they're saying something is wrong. Something is wrong. Pay attention to me. Notice me, you know, and when we sort of deal with it and address it, like we can go shut the car alarm off. But what if we pretend it's not happening and anybody who's had a car alarm that's just going off endlessly, it just gets more and more under your skin and more and more annoying and more and more bothersome when you're trying to focus and do something else. You have to stop and pay attention to it and deal with it. Oh, that, I love that. I love that metaphor. It's great. Yeah. It's like <laughs> we, we are trying to avoid our feelings so we don't suffer, but it is affecting us so much in so many different ways. And we don't even connect it to that feeling. We connect it to us being idiots or us being weak right. or us, us being mm-hmm. overreactors. We don't, we don't connect it to the fact that we're telling these stories about ourselves for all different ways and making all kinds of crazy meaning around it instead of just feeling it. The feelings there's nothing compared to that. Crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think as a therapist, it's really hard. I mean, I, you know, this example with your mom is something very similar that comes up with therapy. You'll see a client dealing with something really terrible or really very difficult, like losing a close friend or going through a separation. And they really have this timeline about when they're supposed to stop feeling this way. And it's just so painful to watch them in that timeline. And you're sort of saying like, no, let's, let's embrace these feelings. Let's deal with them. You know, don't put a clock on how long you should grieve the end of your marriage or losing a close friend or, you know, whatever the issue is. It's so funny because that judgment makes it so much longer. I mean, the judgment really is what attaches us, you know? So we want to let go of something and we judge ourselves so bad for holding on to it. And the judgment is what's making us attached. So if you, you know, if you allow yourself to grieve any amount of like there's, it's arbitrary the time. Some people after one day think it's too long. And some people after three weeks think it's too long. And like nobody knows the right amount of time because there is no right amount of time. And so people judge it immediately. So it's like, it's, (laughs) yeah, it's. I'm curious (laughs) where you see the issue. I mean, one of the things I see and, and talk about sometimes is there's also a piece of wanting or feeling the need for control. And that's some of what we try to create in that story is if the problem is somehow me, then maybe I can control this versus this is just a feeling that's come up because things happen in life, right? An right. unexpected death, there is no, I can't control that. I'm sad. And can I trust that process without needing to sort of have 
some aspect of this that I get to be in charge of. And I think that can be really hard for people. And I'm just curious if that fits in with some of your experience or what you think about that piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I talk about this a lot. We are 100% in charge of the thing that matters the most in making our life okay. And we're in charge of how we respond, how we give meaning to it. And so this is what people don't know. We think we just pay so much attention to what's out of our control, like what happens to us or what happens to other people, what other people do. And we give so much, um, we're just, we completely freak out because we have no, yeah, we have no control over that stuff. But what other people do is like, I mean, yeah, it affects us, but what really affects or makes or breaks our life and makes us happy or sad or upset is our reaction to it. So how we judge ourselves, how we think about that, how we think about the other person, how we think about the world, how we think about what our relationship with ourselves, like that rea- and what we do, how we act, that's going to change how we feel. So if we feel good, if we feel bad, if we feel happy, sad, whatever, content, our reaction is 100% of what's in our control. And so if we thought of the world differently, like that we had 100% of control over what matters in making our life a good life, that'd be a completely different thing to a way to understand the world. Right. We wouldn't have any anxiety. That's why we out of control is worry about out of control is anxiety. That's what anxiety is. Like that's a trademark of anxiety. You feel out of control. And so if we realized really, if we knew it and understood it, and it would take some practice to keep reminding ourselves and seeing it and playing it out in our mind to really embrace it and trust it. Because for so long, we've been so focused on feeling out of control. But if we realize this control means so much, then we would never have anything to worry about. Anything could happen to us. We'd take risks because if something happened, we we know we could handle it. I mean, we'd be smart and we wouldn't, right. you know, <laughs> we wouldn't like walk in the middle of the road still. I mean, we'd still have common sense, of course, but we'd take those risks that are life-giving kind of risks, knowing right. like, or like, like telling someone how we feel. And if they reject us, we know we could handle that, but it was still worth telling them how we feel. We'd still feel good about ourselves and proud or whatever. And know that, you know, we'll bounce back if that happens. And we know that something's going on with that other person and not, it's not to take it personally and those kind of things, you know. And then we're happier people in general. Right. I really mm-hmm. like that piece, that idea of coming, getting to a place where you say to yourself, like, I can handle it. Not that it's going to be easy. Not that, you know, it won't make me anxious or fearful or sad or overwhelmed. But whatever experience I'm having. I can handle it. And I think sometimes that's sometimes the hardest piece to come to terms with. Right. I mean, that's the biggest trick of anxiety that anxiety uses on us, right? You can't handle it. Like that's what anxiety, it's a, it's a tech. So, you know, I, I just wrote a book on anxiety and I do an expose. I break down the power of it. Like I was talking about before. And I just expose like all of the tricks and tactics that anxiety uses on us. And that's a big one, telling us that we can't handle it. It's like one of the biggest, most powerful ones. And that's what perpetuates our anxiety, thinking that we can't handle some situation. But we do it all the time. We handle stuff all the time. And we do pretty good job at it. Pretty amazing. But we don't give ourselves credit for it because we're just on to the next deficit or the next out of control thing. And we forget to, this is another big part of my message in general, like celebrating our success. We don't do that in this culture at all. 
you know, I mean, personally, even the little stuff like that we do all day, like if we empty the dishwasher or do a load of laundry, like just being like, I'm talking about just saying, yes, I did that. Yes, that's done. All right. We don't do any of that. We just see everything around the house that's not done. Everything on our to-do list that's not done. And, you know, we don't say, wow, I got that. You know, I, I just sent this graphic in to, um, this place this morning. I'm like, yeah, I got that done. Like it's off my list. I got it done. And I take a moment to celebrate that because then I'm connecting with my skills and abilities. And then I begin to trust myself a little bit more. And when we don't do that, we don't trust ourselves. All we see is our inadequacies, our deficiencies, what we don't do, what we're out of control over. And that, you know, it does cause a lot of suffering and fear and anxiety. And that's why it's so rampant in our culture is because that we're all kind of walking around doing that. Yeah. I really like what you said about sort of taking a moment to recognize the things that we accomplish each day. Because I, I also think that sort of, it ties in not only to sort of helping with anxiety, but I think slowing down in general and the kind of schedules mm-hmm. and the kind of lives that we live now, you know, it feels like it can feel it's for me, at least it can feel like I'm sort of hurtling through time. Like, all of the, like it's already April. How is that possible? Um, and if, I know. <laughs> if you kind of take a moment when you have some successes or when you have some things that you've accomplished each day, like I feel like that's part of a bigger process of slowing things down and appreciate appreciating what's happening to you in the moment. Yeah. And it, it's, it does do that. It's like a pregnant pause. It, it gives us that space to, um, to be happy. And, you know, cause we need that space to be happy. Right. <laughs> and we need yeah. a little space, right? Yeah. So, but it also gives us energy because if you constantly see your deficits and what's wrong and what you can't trust and what's out of control, it's exhausting. It zaps your energy. It, you know, it just makes you feel sluggish and, uh, it's unmotivating. But if you celebrate those things, all of a sudden you're perked up, you're invigorated, you're like, you're like excited um, challenged in a good way, you know? And, and so that allows us more time, actually time to be present time to do more stuff that, you know, is life giving for us. And we just, I don't know. I, I hope that makes sense. Like we just yeah, have more energy. So you have more yeah. time, more excitement, more, you know, and, and it's, I think that's really important. It's like those gratitude journals. I, I like to tweak it up a little bit because I love the idea of a gratitude journal. And I know that they really change people's lives when they start to at night think about three to five things that they're grateful for each day. But I like for people to write down something that they've done mm. because we could be passively grateful about a lot of stuff, but it doesn't connect us with ourselves. Right. You know, yeah, it, it does shift our energy to like look, think, thinking about the positive or the mindset. But if we also, or even did both of these things, like wrote what you're grateful for, and then wrote things that you did that day, you know, and then we begin to see our skills that we have in our, and we begin to trust ourselves, and that's that's really life changing. Like in a like. The gratitude journal is like one times amazing, and this is like ten times amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I really, I do really like that point about really not just sort of being passive, but connecting things back to ourselves and to our strengths and to our value, and being really intentional about that. I think that's a really important piece, not only for our own well-being, but you know, I am always sort of thinking in the context of relationships too, and I think. In the context of relationships, it's hard to be a good partner 
if we're not also being intentional about caring for ourselves. Right. Right. And it doesn't have to be him or me or whatever. It doesn't right. have to be one or the other. You know, when we get it, when we get it right, we're, we're good to ourselves and the other person at the same time. Yeah. And that's the, that's when like the magic happens when we could be good to both at the exact same time. It's not a sacrifice for us, but it's life giving to us too. That's when the beauty happens. And that's how every relationship can be. Right. Yeah. I think it's that mindset that there's no shortage of suffering. I always have couples who are sort of like arguing about, you know, who's working harder or whose day was work. Like there's no shortage of suffering. Everybody's got a lot, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there's also no shortage of joy. Like there isn't, if I make you happy, then I don't get to be happy or vice versa. But that really, there is more than enough to go around if we start to really work on this and do some of the things I think that you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. I wish more people knew that, you know, they do think of it. It's, it's like a him or I, you know, everyone thinks they're separated and that they're, that if they do this for them, they're making a sacrifice. And if you think that it's, you know, it's, how do you connect? Where's the connection come? Yeah. It just separates you more, you know? Right. Then you're on opposite sides of the battle of who is, who's suffering more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is what our ego does. I mean, our ego, it, you know, we're constantly kind of fighting against this kind of ego that is trying to protect us, but really causing a lot of suffering, you know, it doesn't protect us at all, actually, but it's like, doesn't want to change. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One of the bigger challenges in life, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I fight it every day. It's like, Oh, just crawl in bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, so the other part thing that I really wanted to talk with you about and sort of have us talk about a little bit today is just since we are all therapists, we all sort of do the same work is that other piece about kind of having that balance as we're talking about, you know, having a balance, even in relationships as a professional and that there is some pressure or expectation that we have it together all the time, which clearly we don't Mm -hmm. have it together all the time. Mm -hmm. And where, how much does it help us? And then what do we do to sort of also take care of ourselves in terms of being able to understand if we ourselves become anxious or struggling with our own things and then still needing to show up for clients? Yeah. Well, I guess so many things come to my mind when you say that. I think it's important to be real. I mean, we got to practice what we preach here or, you know, or people will see right through us anyway, and we're not going to help anybody. And it's like when we heal ourselves, we do heal other people. And so I, I think that, you know, to be accountable to that, I, I really have to continue my daily practices of, you know, having good mindset and in doing that. And, and as a blogger or video, or, I mean, you want to share your own story. And, and, you know, I, I did just write a book. I absolutely share my own story in it because people want to know you understand. And it really helps people to know that I understand what they've been through. It does shift something in them that they could listen a different little differently. Um, they don't have to defend themselves to me because I get it. And so when they're not defending themselves, they're listening. And so I, I love being real with people online and practicing what I preach and letting people know that, like, you know, I'm not just this lucky person who's just happy and everything's great in my life. Like I struggle with the exact same things. I grew up in the same, you know, uh, culture that 
his demeaning to women and all that kind of good stuff, not good stuff. And so <laughs> I, I like to be real about that all. But when I'm with, when a client comes in, I could shift my attention. And just if I'm completely present in the situation, anything that was going on for me before they walked in the room isn't, doesn't have to be there. You know, it's not there anymore. Like I just present with that person. And I do, you know, just some, some mindfulness practices like tongue and breath and stuff that I, I'm just present with whatever they're talking about. And I could see their story unfolding in my mind. So I get curious about different things and ask. So when I'm in the present moment, all my other stuff is gone, but it doesn't mean I don't share sometimes the thing that, uh, that I think might help them about my life or, and I, I thought actually you were going to ask too, I wanted to add is that, you know, we have to like, you know, therapists get burned out. A lot yeah. of therapists get burned okay. out or get really stressed if they're really worried about clients. And and I don't know if you know narrative therapy, but that's the, pra- the modality that I practice in. And we're so focused on, we do hear the story and the problem story and, and what's, you know, what's person suffering with, but we're also listening constantly for the resilience and mm-hmm. the skills that they're putting the initiatives that they're taking that go against that story problem so that we could reflect it back to that person and they could, you know, breathe life into that other story where they're stronger than their problem and that kind of thing. And so because I'm so focused on their skills and their resilience and their amazing values that they have that's helping them survive this, I'm inspired. So I could be I could be talking to someone that has had such horrible tragedy and trauma in their life, but I'm so focused on how amazing they did survived and how they survived and who they helped and who helped them. And I'm so inspired that I can walk out of that meeting like feeling amazing about the world. So it's the opposite of burnout if you have the different if you have a different way of thinking about or seeing it or experiencing the session. So that definitely keeps me balanced and good. I think that's such an important, um, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily my primary modality, but I definitely always sort of have a narrative theme going in my head. I definitely Mm -hmm. think about, you know, I think about life, quite frankly, in terms of story. And Mm -hmm. so I think that is such a useful way, not only as therapists, but just as individuals and sort of practicing being present, but practicing sort of what is the story that we're listening for? Like, how do we craft that, that it isn't just bleak and sad and hopeless, but that there are these other things that, you know, I, I do also find a lot of, I get energized and, you know, people think, oh my gosh, what are you like? Lately, my husband, I've been watching family therapy on VH1. Oh, and he's sort of like, (laughs) I don't get it. I don't, he's like this, he's like, how do you do this all day? This would be exhausting. And it's, so, you know, and I, I watch and I think, you know, I'm like excited because I, yes, there are these awful stories and it, there's a lot of pain and suffering, but there are these glimpses of resiliency and connection and, and love and, and that the potential for that to continue to flourish is like exciting to me. Yeah. Right. I you're think part of the skills, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're part of the, I mean, I, I get that question too. I think all therapists do like, how do you do yeah. that all day? It must be so exhausting. And it's like, well, you're part of the opportunity for things to get better. That's what's so energizing about the work. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's interesting because if, you know, if we were watching that together, you and I would see a different show than someone who hasn't been trained to look for those things. 
You know, right. we've honed these skills on looking for those resilience, those skills, the positive storylines, and other people haven't. They're so distracted by the suffering and the pain and the, and that's, that's what, you know, thank goodness that we've, <laughs> thank goodness that we've built these skills. It keeps us in a better place and, you know, in the world too. Yeah, right. absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I don't think I could do the kind of work where you're just sort of sitting, sitting there with the suffering and there's no hope for things to get better. That's not really... Okay. No, I know. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I could feel that for a moment, but then I just remember, okay, so I've been doing this for over 20 years, you know, and I've seen people in the depths of hell and then I've seen them get better right? over time, over and over and over. So it's like thousands of people. And so when the next person comes in in that really huge suffering point and I could be like, oh my goodness, I don't think there's hope for this one. You know, then I'm like, you know what? I, I felt that a million times and they all get better. People go, people get through the hard times. So I have that like retrospective view of this next person because I've seen it happen so many times. And when you have that trust that they're going to be okay, you don't get worried. And actually you're reflecting back that belief in them right back to them. And that actually helps them get better faster. Even if you don't say it, you know, just sitting and believing like if someone came in our office and we were really worried we said, I mean, if someone was suicidal, I would express like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm worried. I, you know, I want you to be safe. But if, if we were worried about every single person who came in our office and expressed how worried we are, we'd freak them out. They'd be so <laughs> freaked out that, that there's no hope for them. And they would just tumble down further. But if they came in our office and we were like, I have a lot of different things that could help and we'll just try one at a time and don't worry, we're not going to run out of things. And it's totally different conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's such a nice place and, and maybe a nice place for us to sort of, if there's anything, I guess I'd like listeners to walk away with is that piece too of hope. Like that is a big part of what we do. And I think that's a big part of life and, and getting through things that may feel overwhelming and, and anxiety provoking is that there's a lot of different solutions to try. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just sometimes it's just about finding that person or that way to stay connected to the optimism, to the hopefulness that as difficult as this moment is, there are better moments to be had. Mm, that's beautiful. Love it. All right. Well, we are almost out of time. So before we wrap up, we totally did not talk about your book. And I really do want us to talk about that because I was checking it out and I'm really excited about it. And I think it could be really helpful for people. So can you tell us a little bit about the book? Sure. Yeah. It's called You Won Anxiety Zero, Winning Your Life Back from Fear, Winning Your Freedom Back from Fear and Panic to Keep Calm in a Crazy World. So yeah, it comes out and it's I think it's I think it's different than other books on anxiety. So I'm really excited about it for people. And, you know, I, I just put my heart and soul into it in the last year, writing this book, writing all the stories about a lot of different client stories, my own story. But I really focus on breaking down that problem. I'm breaking down anxiety, exposing it. Then I do go over some skills, but then I talk about why we deserve to feel better because I think that judgment is such a big part of why we feel anxious. You know, that negative self-judgment and distrust in ourselves 
is why we get anxious in the first place. So I address it. And I don't think a lot of people do. So I'm so excited about this book and bringing it out to the world because I think it's going to make a huge difference. I, I really am hopeful about that. There's a few people read it, like, you know, a few people read it already and loved it. And so I, I'm excited. It sounds fantastic. So let's tell people where they can find it. Um, obviously, I'll also be in the show notes. And as we wrap up, I'll give people your website and social media. But in particular, finding the book, when, um, where will it be available or where is it available? It's, it's available anywhere you could buy books online. You okay, know, perfect. Amazon and Barnes Noble. You could get a paperback if you'd like to read paper books. And, or you could get an e-version, whatever, is, um, whatever works for you. Perfect. Well, Jody, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. I feel like you've shared so much good stuff with everyone. Um, Thank you. Definitely. Everybody should go and check out your website. It's Jody Amen. That's J-O-D-I-A-M-A-N.com. You can also find you on Facebook and Instagram at Jody Amen Love and on Twitter at Jody Amen. Um, and as I, as always, all of the details, all the links, um, including a link to the book will be in the show notes. So if you're listening to this episode, um, just hop on over to the website and you'll be able to click the links and you won't have to remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for talking with us today, Jody. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So that was a great conversation. Yes. I love Jody. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jody. Yeah. I really like her whole take on dealing with anxiety, especially as someone who does a lot of work with anxious folks and is an anxious folk myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, I feel so much better. I feel so much less anxious. <laughs> but I think that, you know, we started out really talking about the whole idea that, you know, therapists get anxious. Everybody gets anxious. Sure. And I really, the piece of our conversation around just how our own story and our expectations of what we should be doing and how we should manage stuff really gets in the way. Right. It just, you know, I think it, you know, she really hit the hammer on the nail when she talked about like the fact that we have these ideas about what our feelings should be and what they should look like and how intense they should be and how long they last. Like we have very specific ideas about Mm -hmm. that And it only draws out the process of healing and recovering from our feelings. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something that I think early on professionally, I had a few cases with like managing grief, which seems like such an obvious common, like as a therapist, I should be really good at this, right? Right. Like that seemed, who wouldn't want to go to therapy, right? Right, like this is it. (laughs) But really- I, it was something that I felt very kind of like out of place with and had to really come to terms with. And I finally, and I think partly, you know, early in, especially when you're like in residency or more importantly in your internship, you feel like you're supposed to follow these formulas. Mm-hmm. And so I was sort of passing that along and I was like, oh, oh, the stages of grief and I should know them and help people through them. And I really settled into a, a different philosophy that you, grief happens how it happens. Right. And who am I or anyone else to tell you that this is the process? And I I had people and they would kind of ask, like, well, shouldn't I be feeling angry now? Or when do I get to the place where, like, of acceptance? And I would, you know, I think grief is much more like the ocean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes in and it goes <laughs> out. And really, you just learn how to manage the waves. Right. Rather than, you know, this 10-step process that 
healed things, but it was for me, the underlying piece was both helping clients, but also helping myself let go of the story and the expectation that this is how it's supposed to be. Right. And as soon as I got to that place, I felt better. Like I felt like I was more competent and more helpful and everybody I worked with felt better really quick. Like, oh, this is okay. Cause this is how I experience it. Right. Yeah. You definitely have to have that mindset of, you know, you're sort of taking, you're going along a journey with someone. I, I, in therapy, we have that concept a lot, but I think in particular with grief, because of how that process works, you mm-hmm. sort of have to sort of take that position of like, I am taking a walk with you, like a yeah. sort of metaphysical walk with you <laughs> as you go through this process, because nobody knows how long it's going to take. I mean, yeah, there are some extreme behaviors where we'll go, okay, maybe this this grief process is problematic and we need to look at it and how you handle it. But a lot of it is just accepting whatever feelings mm-hmm. come up and learning to sort of be present with those feelings yeah. and to sort of deal with it in that way. Um, I think, you know, as a therapist, um, for us, because, you know, we've seen a lot of people doing you know, a lot of this stuff, like many times. So we've seen people going through a grief process. We've seen Mm -hmm. people going through a separation or divorce. We've seen people dealing with their kids acting out. Like we have sort of that knowledge of like, I've seen the long arc of this process, you know, many times Mm -hmm. by the time somebody comes to my door at this part. And so, you know, I kind of, as Jody was saying, like, I know they're going to be okay. Like, yeah. I guess I mean I'm not a magician, Houdini future reader, you didn't look but a crystal ball. No, uh, not exactly. But I have some relative assurance, having seen this before, that this person is going to be okay. Yeah. And my only concern is what they do while they're not okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is a total fair. I mean, therapist problem. I mean, I really feel like that. I mean, that's. It can be such a, I don't know if scary is the right word, but it is it is anxiety provoking. Yeah. Not because they're not okay now, but because of what are you going to do because it's so hard for you to just tolerate it. Like if you could right. just sit with the fact that you're not okay in this moment mm-hmm. and not do anything extra, <laughs> you will be okay. Like you'll get to the other side of it and it's going to be fine. It's it's all the extra things we do when we're so uncomfortable. Right. Whatever the feeling is, sadness, anxiety, hurt. you know, grief, hurt, anger. What? That yeah. often that's what creates our problems. Right. Like that's the, it's that w- unwillingness to sort of accept our suffering, which I get like that is a super therapisty phrase that I just said, <laughs> like accept your suffering. Like I get accepting your suffering is hard. I have trouble. I have times in my life where I right. go through hard things and I have to suffer and it sucks. Nobody likes it. No. But it is, there's so much sort of panic and fleeing from the suffering that it creates other problems. Yes. That you act out in other ways and you show other behaviors that make it so much worse than if you sort of sat and said like, this sucks. Yep. I'm going to live – I'm going to sit with the fact that this sucks. Yeah. And I'm going to accept that, that I feel these things and it hurts or it's driving me crazy or making me – or I'm disappointed or whatever. Right. If you – when you get to a place where you can do that, 
that makes the process so much easier. Mm -hmm. And I think people get confused because I think people think, I think a lot of times we think, not just other people, but myself too, like that if I just accept the feelings, then they'll go away. Right. Like once (laughs) I accept them, they'll just just float away like magically. And Mm -hmm. like, that's not really accepting the feelings. That's trying to get the feelings to go away. Yes. Which is a totally different process. I think so. And I think sometimes people confuse like the accept the suffering as so I have to resign myself to this is how I'm going to feel forever. And that this is just my lot in life that it's going to be terrible and suffering. Like that's not really about accepting suffering. It's accepting suffering is sort of acknowledging the experience that you're having Mm -hmm. and what it feels like and being honest with yourself and to some degree with others about how you feel in a particular moment in your life. Right. Not then laying down and sort of being defeated by it, but saying like, it's okay that I feel the way I feel. And there's a process that I'm going to move through this. Right. And I don't know how long that process will take or what it's going to look like, but I can do it in a really healthy way. If I'm willing to be okay with this is my feeling at this time. Right. I think that's, there's a really good, which I'm totally, I'm not even going to attempt to say but I will put it in the show notes. There's a really great Michael J. Fox quote of all of the random people, Marty McFly. <laughs> but he, you know, and I, I assume that it probably was in part talking about, you know, his experience with Parkinson's and whatever, but he talks about that difference in what acceptance really means, mm-hmm. that it isn't about just kind of, I accept that life is terrible. Like, no, I accept and that. And now I- just go live in this hole. I'll just right. go bury myself underground. That's what I'm going to do now. Right. Everything is awful. Everything is awful. (laughs) Because then we don't avoid the acting out. When we convince ourselves that everything is awful, then we still end up acting out. Well, then there's no point to not acting out. If everything is awful, like, I might as well, like, do whatever the hell I want. Exactly. (laughs) There's no hope for things to get better. Oh, terrible. I'm doing whatever I want. Yeah. Instead of, like, (laughs) no, accept it. Because I think that then ultimately does become motivating for, wow, this really is hard. It sucks and it feels bad and I'm sad, angry, frustrated, whatever. What can I do about that? Like, right. how do I survive that and move through it? And then we start, I think we're better able to look at healthy coping, whatever that is. Sometimes healthy coping is just going like, I just need somebody to kind of hold my hand as I go on this like <laughs> metaphorical walk through, <laughs> you know, hell or whatever else right however you want to describe your experience and right. that's it and yeah exactly sometimes that's all that's all you can yeah. do and that's that's all you really need but mm-hmm. there's so much pressure and insistence on making things go away and making the yeah. feelings go away and not feeling them anymore and that just keeps you trapped mm-hmm. that's that's the recipe for misery right there no i, d- I would definitely agree and i think So it makes me also think about, on the flip side, being the person in our role as a therapist or as a friend or a family member or whatever, being on the other side of that experience and also learning how to be accepting Mm -hmm. of other people's suffering. Because what it requires is us, if I, in order to accept your sadness, I have to be okay with my own sadness Mm -hmm. because you're going to bring it up and can I sit with those feelings? And I think there is an inclination towards fixing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's just kind of challenging, which I was trying to think about what my, you know, RLWB for this episode. And I don't have a thing to like read, listen, watch. Well, maybe watch 
So I've been, we've been involved with Sidewalk Talk, but I, you know, people are like, why, why are you doing this? What's, you know, it's listening. But for me, part of it is that exact experience of practicing, not trying to solve problems, not trying to solve, not immediately Mm -hmm. trying to get rid of your own feelings or someone else's feelings of suffering, but to just be with it. Right. And that experience of telling your story in a way where people just hear it and sit with it and acknowledge what it feels like and that that's enough, that that actually can be kind of healing and transformative in and of itself. So, yeah, no, and there's a great, I don't know if I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I think it's always worth mentioning, but (laughs) Renee Brown, Brene, Brene Brown (laughs) has a great little cartoon about empathy versus sympathy. And it talks exactly about that process of being with someone as they're going through something difficult, but not sort of stepping in to fix or Mm -hmm. give advice, like just being present with them is often what we need. Yeah. You know, even if we do need advice or help, often what we first want is just someone to hear us, just someone to listen and be present with us and to not sort of shrink away from Mm -hmm. the pain or difficulty of it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the thing that's, you know, when it's somebody you love, like your, you know, your partner or your child or your friend, when they're going through something, we want to step in and fix it. And we also we also feel so uncomfortable yes. with somebody else's suffering that we want to make that go away. Right. It isn't just about fixing it for them. We want to fix it for ourselves too. And I love I, I love the cartoon because it gives a visual of something I, I said before, which part of it is just you have to get down in that dark hole with that person and be willing to sit there with them for a little while. Like I can't stand up outside in my sort of happy place and try to pull you back up. Like I got to come down. So I really understand what, what you're in before I can potentially offer some solutions and maybe realize that a solution isn't what you need. needed. Yeah. If I just come down here and like, listen, then you'll figure it out and you kind of make your way through it. And, and it goes back sort of full circle back to that whole issue of like what we should do or what we should be feeling or how we should move through things. That doesn't just come from internally. That also comes from the people around us and the messages we get. And so I've been editing some videos of people talking about like, oh, how does it feel to be listened to? And and one of my favorites, which is actually on our YouTube channel, and, and I'll share it in the show notes along with the Brene Brown video is it's a young guy. I mean, I, I actually know him, but he's 20, I think. And talks about that he feels like he doesn't, he didn't know what it felt like to be listened to. But when he starts to sort of explain it, it's all of these shoulds, right? Like, because I feel like I should be able to solve my own problems. I should be strong. I should be all of these things. And I thought it's such a, you know, as a therapist, it like, it makes me sad because I'm like, oh, we have to break away from that. But I think it also highlights exactly what we were talking about with Jody in that. All of those shoulds, all of those storylines about how we're supposed to process things really gets in the way of actually processing, processing things. <laughs> like actually moving through it <laughs> is all these rules and stories that we create for ourselves or for other people about what it's supposed to look like. So Right. Well, that was technically your RLW. I guess that's my, yeah, that's our, that's the RLW. We've got two very short, but I think meaningful videos worth watching. So yeah, I will share those. Do we have a therapist problem? Not technically. I mean, I feel like 
<laughs> the worry around like what people do in between not being okay and being okay. That feels like a very yeah, that is problem. a therapist problem for sure. Is kind of you're sitting there. Well, and it, it's not just a therapist problem because I've definitely had that with friends where I'm like they're going through something and I know yeah. they're going to be okay, but they don't know that yet. Right. They don't believe that yet. Exactly. And you're kind of sitting there like, oh my God, I hope you don't firebomb your life while you are not. Okay. Right. right. That's for friends, not for clients. Not I for don't. Clients. <laughs> it's a for, little different. For clients, clients, it's like, well, for one thing, you know that if they're coming in to see you, they're trying de- very desperately not to firebomb their life. Yeah. They've already <laughs> taken a step to say, I'm not sure I'm going to be making great decisions. Let's let's talk about that. Let's let me get some outside input on that. Where I think, not that friends don't ask, but it's a very different. It's very different, and you don't. You may or may not be so invested in what I think you should or shouldn't do. Absolutely, and my role in telling you what to do is different too. Right. Well, my whole role of telling you what I think you should do is so fraught with you know it's so connected to what. I, my beliefs about you and, you know, what I want from our relationship. Like, am I really going to encourage you to move across the country when I like you and I don't want you to do that? Right. If you're my client, I'm going to be like, okay. Yeah. Like, that's that's what you want. That sounds like a great thing and it could be really good for you. But yeah. If If you're you're my happy hour buddy, I'm going to feel a little bit more conflicted about that. (laughs) Well, maybe you can just find a similar job here. Yeah. Or, you know. That could work. Yeah. So... (laughs) Yeah, but no, that there is that space between knowing that they're going to be okay, but they're not okay right now and sort of – I call it sort of containment. Like I mm-hmm. will be sort of blunt with clients. Like you have all these feelings and you need to sort of process them and all we can do is contain you in this space. Yeah. Like we don't need to be trying to venture out to do bigger things right now. We need to contain you in this space so that once you get to the other side – you're you still have a life yeah that everything hasn't sort of fallen apart while you are dealing with something (laughs) right you know awful or really hard or yeah you know that sort of thing i've had a number of clients in the past couple years especially past two years especially who have been going through like a separation or divorce Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that people don't It's one of the places where we especially, or I especially, and I'm sure you do too, get a lot of, I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't still feel this way. Yes. I should be over this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I initiated the divorce, so I shouldn't feel this. Right. I don't get to be sad about it. Right. Like, no, you do. Yeah. Or it's, you know, it's been three months. I should be good now or whatever. And I'm, you know, I'm like, no, this is... This is pretty this on is pretty much where power. you should be. Yeah. Yep. You're exactly where you're supposed to this be. This seems very normal. This seems normal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my only goal is that, you know, you don't sort of, you keep like going to work and paying your bills and all of that kind of stuff so that your life doesn't literally fall apart. In but other than that, I have no other expectations. Like, right. Did and you eat today? Like, that's part of the, the planning. Yes. And- it- it's a lot of, it's just self-care. Like it's self-care until you feel better. Right. That's all we're going to do because you will ultimately be okay. Right. We just have to sort of get through the healing process. And I think, you know, we talk about healing and therapy a lot, but I think there are definitely some scenarios where it's more important to really take a healing framework. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good example. The other one I 
see a lot of is when I work with couples where there's been infidelity. Right. Because the expectation and they and usually both partners have very different expectations about how quickly things should be. And everybody just wants it to be over. Right. Like so desperately. So desperately. Because it's so painful. Right. And it comes out of nowhere. But the reality is that if you if both people have made the commitment that they want to fix the relationship, then early on a lot of it is just like how can we be a little bit kinder and a little bit more compassionate and just get through each day, each week, each month? Yes. And then, yes, there's some other bigger issues that we'll tackle, but like we're not even at that place yet. Right. Can you just, as you said, contain Contain it this, is it? To a way that you we don't sort of like blow other holes in the relationship. Right. And not to go down the rabbit hole with this, but I think there's this expectation of – you know, if you're the person who's been cheated on and you sort of honestly want to forgive that person and want to move on yeah. and want the relationship to work, then all of those feelings that you've had about sort of the being betrayed and sort of mm-hmm. the obsessive thinking that we see comes from, from that process so. all the time, mm-hmm. um, that those feelings are just going to go away because you've decided to to be over it. Yeah. But that is not. That's not how it works. That's not a thing at all. <laughs> I mean, the way I kind of explain it to clients, and I don't know if you use this language too, but I talk about like, it's basically like a small T trauma. Like yeah. basically your brain is trying to recover from a trauma. Yeah. And the way that it does that is obsessive thinking, intense hyper-focus, like yep. constantly sort of reliving and going through Yeah, and you're hyper-vigilant and you're all of these things. And yes, you can totally get to the other side of this. And your relationship could be, can be stronger, stronger after for it, it because you will have really – learned how to repair trust and and frankly he help each other to heal from the trauma of what has happened but it is very i always talk about it in terms of trauma as well like to understand that like flashbacks and flooding and yes. the, and the things we talk about in relationship to more PTSD more, more PTSD or, kinds yeah. of trauma those are the same sort of processes that are happening and so and I mean, your do, brain has no new tricks no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's not like it doesn't. It's only and it's only got a certain bag of tricks, and it's going to keep yeah. deploying them, whether or not you were actually deployed right, or, or not, <laughs> or if you know your partner cheated on you. It might. Yeah. It's going to vary level of intensity and longevity, but yeah, it's it's only got a certain bag of tricks. Yeah, that's and that's <laughs> kind of it. And there's something really, I think, sometimes we minimize emotional pain as being less intense or less serious than physical pain right and it's it's not your brain doesn't treat it that way though if you gave your your heart and started to build a life with somebody and they broke that trust it's significant Mm -hmm. and repairing it and moving forward from it is not something that happens overnight or in a month or frankly six months yeah no it doesn't if only yeah i know but no i'm like you know and we've both talked about like so we're gonna be doing this for like a year yeah. So settle in. Right. Like, get comfy. Let me get know comfy. if you need another pillow for the couch because we're going to be here for about a year. Right. And, and But I think it's, it is the perfect example of what we've been talking about this whole episode, which is the once you decide that it's okay for you to not be okay. Right. And accept that it's really there, – that there isn't sort of this very firm timeline. This could take a really long time for us. Mm-hmm. It gets when so see, much better. It gets so much better. Yeah. I mean, and I see it time and time again, especially with couples. Once that happens, 
it's like everybody just like lets out a like a sigh of relief. Like, mm-hmm. okay, this, this is what is it. it's going to be. I can do this. Yeah. It's not that it's, it's, doesn't be hard, it's not hard along the way, but it's No, but it's a remarkable changes. shift. You, I it mean, is. you can see the shift in couples when they get to that point of like, oh, this this is it. Like, mm-hmm. this is what we're going to be doing now. And, and each so- person has to kind of accept their role in it. Yeah. And, you know, mitigate some of the effects of it. Certainly, we're not saying like, you should just go you just all sit out for a year and be miserable. <laughs> That's right. not, that doesn't work either. Yeah. But, you know, while you're mitigating some of the effects, allowing yourself to feel those feelings. And if you're the person who, you know, was unfaithful, allowing yourself to be present with those feelings without saying, well, I need you to get over it because it's really uncomfortable that you keep bringing this up. Right. Well, yeah, it is. But yeah, this whole process is going to be really uncomfortable. Yeah. For both of you. For everybody. For a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except us, because we see it every day. So. Right, yeah. It's not so uncomfortable for us on right. our side of the house. We're just like, oh, it's it right. hurts that you're going through this, but it is. You know, and we'll you get know. to the other side. Exactly. It, it is one of those issues where I find, you know, it's a lot of holding hope, which I actually feel like is one of the parts of this job that I enjoy most. Yeah, agreed, definitely. Where you're yeah. like, I I can hold the hope. I get why you can't, but I can hold the hope yes. right now and, and, and have faith that we can get right. to the other exactly. side. You know, whether that is, you know, often that is working it out and staying it to staying together. Sometimes it's also realizing like it's too, the trust has been too broken or yeah. there were other factors that it's just not going to work and, you know, splitting yeah. that also, you know. That happens. If that's where you get to, that's where you get to. Yeah. But I think there's something really powerful about getting, even if that's the place you get to, getting to that place. Because you've done some work and have some understanding versus as a reaction to this is so uncomfortable and so painful. And I just just want that to stop. Right. Because what ends up happening is. Oh, you come back. Yeah. Those feelings are back. Right. (laughs) You're like, wait, the feelings didn't disappear. No. Now we're just not together. And I still feel all of these same things. And I don't have you as part of the process to heal from it anymore. Absolutely. You're elsewhere. So. Yeah. So yeah, therapist problems. But I would really love, which I think we said a few episodes ago, to get some listener therapist problems so we can talk yes. about Yes. Clearly, we can talk about problems all day, day. long. <laughs> Literally, we do. We do. Technically, <laughs> yes, we do. But it would be great to have uh, some listener therapist problems. And so- Yeah, we'd love um, to hear from you. Yeah. Post them online. You know, reach out to us on social media. Post them in the comments for this episode or any other episode. <laughs> right. We read all the comments. We read so all we'll the comments. Know. It's fine. And I'm thinking about, which actually would be a great thing for listeners to kind of chime in on, is I'm thinking it might be cool if we had a phone number where people could call and leave messages. Oh. Because then we can play your questions and feedback, and then we'll be able to talk to you. So I'm thinking about I'm that. Sure we can do idea. that with not an actual phone, though, Esther. I think... <laughs> Well, not an actual, like, I'm not going to go get, like, another iPhone for people to call me on, but I think we can get a phone number. Yes, that's true. That people can call. Maybe a Google voice number. Probably a Google voice number. We can figure out. Some kind of voicemail message. But I would like to know if people would be into that, because I don't know. Sometimes I'm lazy. I just, I have thoughts, but I don't want to have to type them. But maybe I would call. True story. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes I don't really want to have to call either, so. (laughs) 
I guess we'll if you see. if listeners are lazy like me, then maybe we're out of luck. We're out of luck. We're just never going to hear from let's you. Let's not be as lazy as Esther. No, don't do that. Which is so funny because Esther is like the least lazy person I know. <laughs> I literally am like, Esther, please don't work on your vacation. Why are you responding to these messages? You're on vacation. <laughs> it's like my vacation response. It's, you know, it's light. <laughs> work light. <laughs> Yeah, no. No? <laughs> I believe in real vacations. I do, too. I just, Are you sure? I do. I mean, technically, I really do. But I have come to realize that I like to put it in a positive spin. I just really like my work. True. And so, like, I just, I it doesn't you feel like work. I yourself. enjoy it. Also, I probably just need to take a lot more international vacations. Yeah. Because that is the one spotty thing. Spotty internet access. Yeah, that spotty helps. internet access. I never buy the international Mm-mm. like phone plan. And so it's great. Yeah. Because I don't have a choice. I have to be you just gotta off. be yeah. present. Yeah, present with the beach and the sun. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like that's really the only vacation I want to be on. Mm, it's mountains for me, but sure. Yeah, no, I'm a beach and <laughs> beach and sun or a big city. Oh, and I don't, which we've talked about. You yeah, don't, you're I'm like that's not a vacation. And then beach, and then big city is like no, that's no, that's not a vacation. Yeah, I like I like having things to do. Oh, I don't like I like do having things. the option of things to do because I don't feel pulled to do them. Yeah, no, I don't want to do things. I want to do as little as possible. I want to like sit and, and like eat and look at the mountain. That's what I want to do. Look at that pretty mountain. Let's sit here, have another glass of wine. Yeah. I am good for two days on that one. <laughs> then I'm like, okay, what are we doing? Where can I go? No. But the beach. The beach. The beach, pull, is, the beach will pull can, me in. I can do that can for mutually agree a solid beach. week of nothingness. Like yeah. books and magazines and. Hanging out. Hanging out. Yeah, and, that's not bad either. Yeah. Yeah. Daiquiris and mojitos and, and sure. a hammock. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case anybody wants to, like, you know, send the show on the road, book us for a little vacation. If you've I got mean, a beach house. We'll, we're there. We will be there. <laughs> we will record a lot of episodes. <laughs> or one. Between our beach naps. Yes. <laughs> yes. That does sound pleasant. Oh, all right. Well, tune in. Uh, We will be back again with another fabulous episode and some other very interesting guests. You can find all of the episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher, on FM radio, so you can take it with you on your cell phone or tablet. You can also find them online, estherboykin.com backslash podcast, as well as conversations off the couch backslash podcast. And if you just want to chat with Erica and I, Twitter, Esther B. MFT, Instagram, Esther B. MFT, Facebook, Esther B. MFT. That's just <laughs> me, though. But I know that you totally want to be talking to Erica, probably more than you want to talk to me. So you can also find her on all of those places. <laughs> yes. No. no. <laughs> um, yeah. So on Twitter... Uh, GTA therapist. You can also tweet me, Ian Flats. Yeah. yeah. And Instagram, Ian Flats. Yeah. And also conversations off the couch on yeah. Instagram. Basically, you can find us all over the place. Yeah, all over the place. Just, you know, like, if you Google can't find us, you're not really looking. Yeah, you're not really looking. We're, to be fair. we're fairly easy to find. We're, we're easy to find. <laughs> all right. We'll see you next time. See you next time. See you next time.